Our scripture today is from Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. That wraps up the book of Ephesians. And it's always interesting to look at the end of a letter because it so often tells us some of the most important things which we're gonna dig into today. Anybody here ever travel on the East Coast? Everybody, anybody been to the East Coast, travel on the East Coast? One of the things that, it hap- that you'll see or you'll notice on the East Coast is there are lots of battlefields. Uh, everywhere you go up and down the East Coast, especially in the Mid-Atlantic, there are battlefields. One in particular you probably are familiar with called Gettysburg. Gettysburg is the battlefield that is in, obviously, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, was a turning point in the Civil War here in the United States. I've been there a few times. And one of the things I've learned about over the years is, is the battle and how the battle went. And so the Confederate troops had, had come and surprised the Union troops by moving into Northern Territory, into Gettysburg, which was across Maryland. And I always grew up that Maryland was a bunch of neutral. We were neutral during the Civil War. You know, we didn't pick sides. But I always think, well, how did the Confederate Army get through Maryland? Without some sympathizers being there, and which was true, that's how they got into Gettysburg. And so this battle ensued in three days, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. And the Confederate troops came in and and actually surrounded the town of Gettysburg, came up around actually from the north as well. And they came around to the Battle of Gettysburg. Day one, the Union troops retreated. Confederate troops advanced. Day two, Union troops retreated. Confederate troops advanced. General Lee, in the Battle of Gettysburg on day three, thought he had it all wrapped up. 
So he ordered 12,000 troops to cross an open field to take out the center line of the Union troops. He thought this was gonna be the decisive battle that would end the whole war and end the battle and make sure that the Confederates won the war overall. What happened that day on day three, so I want you to imagine this charge and retreat, charge and first two days, who's winning the battle? Who's winning? If you're still with me, stay with me. (laughs) Who's winning? Confederate, right? This famous battle, and there were lots of little battles that happened about Gettysburg, this famous battle is known as Pickett's Charge. The Union troops were dug in at the top of this little ridge as these 12,000 Confederate troops advanced, but they were dug in. They had the position, they held their position, and General Lee, the Confederate troops lost two-thirds of their men in that battle. That means 12,000 were whittled down to 4,000 and they retreated. The next day, actually early the next morning, the general packed up all his troops and they retreated back to Virginia after that one battle, even though they had won the first two days. They went back. And that actually was a turning point in the Civil War. That battle was a critical battle in the overall outcome of the Civil War. Now my question, you say, why are we talking about battlefields? Well, did you hear the scripture? Did you hear the scripture this morning? My question is, how do we stand strong in the face of an overwhelming enemy? How do we stand strong in the face of the overwhelming enemy? And how do we dig in? (laughs) Because that's really what is being talked about in this passage. Our memory verse for this week is this. It's a very simple one and I love it and I've been kind of sitting with it all week. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's where we dig in. We dig in there. Not in my power. Not in somebody else's power or strength, but in the strength and power of the Lord. You know, I was up in Friday Harbor for a couple days on vacation, and I wanted to tour the island, but we had taken, the, we walked on the ferry and took the ferry across to Friday Harbor, and they had these bikes, we had bikes you could rent, so I'm like, I'm gonna rent a bike and ride around the island, but I saw these e-assist bikes, and I figure, I'm on vacation, I'm gonna get an e-assist bike, Right? Don't worry, I, I do the regular riding too, because I always ride by the e-assist people and go, you know, those people, the e-assist bikes. What, you know, what, what's, what about woman-powered or man-powered bikes, you know, right? Let's do that. So I'm always kind of, you know, looking down upon the e-assist bike people. It's a confession, sorry. I confess to, sorry that. But you know, I got on an e-assist bike and it was awesome, you know? Now I know why they like an e-assist bike. So I'm riding around the island and every time I got to a hill, e-assist right? Makes life really easy on a bike, right? And so I would do this, and I thought about this, you know, I'm like, I was thinking about this, you know, isn't that kind of how I do life? (laughs) Like, I pretty much do everything under my own power and energy and strength, and then when I face some difficulty or some battle or something going on in my life, I go, hey, can I get a little help? (laughs) Right? Isn't that it? How many people, anybody else do that? Do that, right? So we have, maybe we have e-assist faith. Maybe it's, we're e-assist in our faith that every once in a while we need to be strong in the Lord, so we call on the Lord whenever we need a little extra help. I don't think that's what Paul's saying, actually. I think Paul's saying this is a continual assist. <laughs> 
This is that I am never to be acting just in my own strength and in power, but I am actually to be fully engaged in the power and strength of the Lord and to be functioning under the power and strength of the Lord at all times. (laughs) That ultimately I am to be dug in here, continually connected to the strength and power of our Lord because that's how I'll face the day of evil. Paul's been talking about this. Last chapter, he talked about the days are evil, not present tense, And here he talks about the day of evil, that you and I will encounter this day of evil. What is he talking about here? So we have to think about this, and then how do we dig in? And in fact, he uses the word stand firm, that we're to stand firm, we're to dig in when this battle happens, when we face evil, when these things happen. What is he talking about? If you remember a few weeks ago, I know it's been a long time, but I talked about Paul's cosmology, which means how Paul saw the universe Right, And he saw that there were spiritual forces at work in the universe. I think we got a diagram. Can you throw up the diagram there? Uh, yeah, so there it is. So we're on earth, right? That, so Paul saw the earth, the physical earth that we live in, the heavens, the stars, the planets. And then he talks often about the heavenly realms where Christ is seated and enthroned. But he also talks about this battle that is going on among spiritual forces that are acting in all those areas, in the heavenly realms and here on earth, that there's this spiritual force battle going on. Now, I don't know where you're at on this. I'm not gonna go into a lot of this, but I think you and I have to decide is there something else going on besides what we physically re- know in reality? Is there a spiritual reality that we can't always see or understand? And it, you have to answer that question. I think there is a spiritual re- reality beyond ourselves. And so you have to think about that. And then you can understand this spiritual force that's at work. But notice that Paul says this. Who is our battle against? Who is our battle against? Maybe you didn't remember the scripture, but our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the devil's schemes, it says. That's what Paul says, these schemes. That maybe there's some schemes going on, (laughs) some planning going on that you and I aren't aware of, that are trying to to reduce, (laughs) to attack, in a sense, the enemy. Now, C.S. Lewis uh, did a great book. I've mentioned this before. He did, wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, which is an imaginary look. It's a fictional work, but it's an imaginary look of one demon apprenticing another demon, and the mentor demon writes letters to his apprentice about how to attack the, quote, enemy, which is people of God or God. So they write these letters, and I found one of these, I was reading through these letters again this past week, and I looked at some of these uh, to look for the devil's schemes, I thought, what are the schemes that might be at work? And one of the schemes C.S. Lewis points out is the scheme of the historical Jesus. Have you ever, I don't know if you're familiar with the historical Jesus. I'm assuming with some academic community here that you've heard of the historical Jesus. If you haven't, this is the idea that scholars came together and started to say, well, where's the real Jesus in the gospels? Like, and and what's fictional Jesus and what's real historical Jesus, right? They began to answer that question. So C.S. Lewis says this. Now, I want you to note that C.S. Lewis wrote this in 1947. That's a long time ago, right? Do the math. Who can do the math? All right, don't worry about it. All right. 1947, C.S. Lewis wrote this about the historical Jesus. He said, instead of a creator adored by its creature, 
you soon have merely a leader acclaimed by a partisan, and finally, a distinguished character approved by a judicious historian. What happens to Jesus? When, and he says this historical Jesus comes up about every 30 years. <laughs> you know, we kind of reimagine Jesus every 30 years as a society, as a culture, uh, in, in our theology. But what happens here, I mean, here's my question, what happens to Jesus the Jesus who has power and authority and strength when it's just historical. What happens to Jesus? We don't have any power. (laughs) We don't have any strength in Christ because we've reduced Jesus down to a historical figure. Maybe that's a scheme. I mean, if I were the devil, if I were trying to undermine God's work on the planet, if I were trying to undermine God's people, if I were trying to get people away from God, I'd start focusing on a historical Jesus (laughs) and telling people, hey, you know, Jesus was just an average person, a historical figure, not anybody that really has any power in your life. We wouldn't want that to happen. We wouldn't want to actually change your life. We want to keep you just the way you are. And the historical Jesus keeps us the way we are. Easy. Historical Jesus is much easier to handle too, by the way. Because I don't have to do anything. So our, our, we, we fight against schemes. We don't fight against each other. Did you notice that? Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but Paul actually says the spiritual forces of darkness, the rulers and authorities, not human rulers and authorities, but the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That there are these other powers at work in the world besides the human ones. And so that's where Paul is saying that's where our fight is. That's where our battle is. Our battle is not against each other. But my concern today is that a lot of our battles are against each other. And isn't that another scheme, isn't it? If you could divide the troops, if you could get them fighting each other, that'd be a great scheme if you want to defeat the enemy, right? What if the, tw- the Union soldiers on pickets, during Pickett's charge, what if they were divided? What if they said, well, we're not going to stay here. We're going to go over here, and we're going to go do our thing over here, and you, this group's going to go over there. What would have happened to the Confederate army when they marched right up the middle? Walked right through. Because it would have been divided. But they didn't do that. They stayed unified in the face of the enemy. I think about how often, if we as a church are a missional outpost on planet Earth, that we need to be unified. And Paul's been talking about unity through the whole letter. He's been talking about the unity of the church. He's been saying, you all, everyone, all saints need to stay unified in this missional outpost, in this missional work of advancing the kingdom here on Earth. If you get divided, guess what happens? The enemy wins. But how often are we divided? How often is our nation divided? That's a little bit easier question to answer, isn't it? <clears throat> Take, for example, the uh, issue of the immigration on the border, the families were being set, parents were being separated from their children. I, didn't, I don't normally react to news. I don't normally have a quick reaction. I try to process things and I try and research things to learn what's really going on. Because when that first happened, 
you know, and it actually, how many people have seen anything in the news about that? Have you noticed that, right? A little bit, right? Recently. But it's been actually two months since we heard anything. That's the way the news cycle works. But I want you to notice something about that. What was the first initial reaction in the media to that issue? What was it? Who, who was fighting who? Anybody want to stay with me? Go with me here? I'll just say it. We were fighting each other. Everybody was doing this. No, it's not my fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. No, it's not my fault, it's their fault. Look at they did, they did this, they did this, they did this. And so they fight, the, fought, the fight was against other people. And what, <clears throat> the problem with that is nobody was focused on the solution. <laughs> See, when we get divided, when we get arguing, when we get finger pointing, when we get blaming each other as human beings, which is what we do, we start attacking each other rather than the problem. The problem was that there were families, there were children separated from their parents. That was the problem. I don't care whose fault it is. Let's solve the problem. Let's focus on the problem. Let's get these children connected back to their families. To date, 3,000 children were estimated to be separated. Now 500 are still separated. So there's been progress. But when we, it wasn't until we focused on the problem and started complaining Stop, you know, stop complaining and focus on the problem that things actually started to change. You see that? As a nation, in that particular issue. And notice what happened to the news media when the problem started to be addressed. <laughs> they stopped covering it, right? Why? Because there wasn't a fight. You and I love a fight. How many people growing up in high school fight in the hallway, right? Fight on the bus, fight after school. Everybody crowds around, right, to watch the fight. We had a distraction from what the real issue is. That's what Paul is saying. Our fight is not against each other. It is against the evil schemes, the evil one, the dark forces. We have to keep our focus on the right, attacking the right things. So he says to do this, put on the full armor of God. Now, when we look at this full armor of God, I'm not going to go through all this, but I want you to notice something about the full armor of God. All of this, I'm not focusing so much on the armor itself, but I want you to notice all the characteristics of the armor, the spiritual relational characteristics of the armor. Do you see that now? Do you see when you see just the characteristics listed, you see these all have to do with our relationship with God. How I understand the truth of who Jesus Christ is how I understand how I protect righteousness in my own life and seek to protect my heart of righteousness. How I advance, notice our attack or our standing firm is not military attack. Notice what Paul says, what does he call it? The gospel of peace. That our advancement or our standing firm is with the gospel of peace. This is not a, an attack or attack people, but we lead with peace. We lead with how do we bring about peace in whatever situation, whatever problem, whatever, whatever the evil is, how do we bring about peace in this situation as a Christian? Our faith, our faith that extinguishes arrows, our salvation, do we trust it? Do we know it? Do we have assurance of it? And then the word of God. The word of God is the sword of what? The spirit. The spirit wields the sword. Did you notice that? You know, we often think, oh, I'm gonna wield God's word. And I've seen people do that. 
I've seen people take God's word and wield it to their own purposes and wield it to their own agendas. But what is going on here is the spirit wields the sword. The spirit who gave us the gospel of peace. So that makes a difference, doesn't it? Now, how many people, by the way, all right, commercial interruption. How many people here memorized verses this summer? Anybody do that? We got a list in your bulletin, right? And so you memorize some verses. There's a list in your bulletin this week of all the verses we focused on. I saw some hands there that you memorized verses. Who memorized? Kay, did you? What's your favorite one? The whole first chapter. Great. You haven't gotten to it all good, but I'm glad you're doing it. I got a gift for you. See, commercial interruption. Um, this is the Psalms written by Eugene Peterson. I had some extra copies. It's great. I use it in my devotions. You don't have to memorize it all, though, if you don't want to. Who else? Has, I saw another hand over here. Who else? Esther. What's that? You've got one. All right, who's got one? I know you have. You've been leading a class on memorizing verses. Can you tell us about that? She's working on Revelation chapter two. I think you should, you should get a book, at least the whole Psalms, right? Anybody else? Yeah, Debbie. I love all the Ephesians. Right. Verses, obviously, but I'm thinking about the one, um, be completely humble and gentle. Mm-hmm. Be right. patient for bearing. One another in love. Yes. Every effort, effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Right. Amen. Amen. She got it right there. Did you hear that? Good. Anybody else? I got two more. If not, you come up to me after the service. You give me a memory verse from this summer. I'll give you a a, a free book. All right. How about that? All right. Commercial over. I just want to make sure you're still awake. So the last thing Paul says here. He says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Be alert. Be alert. You know, there's a a story in the Old Testament of the army of Gideon. And Gideon has about 32,000 troops ready to advance on the Midianite army who had come into the territory of Israel. And so God says the army's too big because if you go to battle, you'll think you'll di- you, you did this and won this battle under what? Your own strength. Remember to go back to our ver- memory verse, right? A lot of times he says, I don't want you, God says to Gideon, I don't want you guys thinking, you men and women thinking that you did this under your own strength. So I want to reduce the size of your army <laughs> before you go into battle. So they have 32,000 troops He said to them, all right, anybody who's fearful or scared to go to battle, let them leave. And so Gideon allows 22,000 of the 32,000 troops to leave. He's left with 10,000 troops left to go to battle. God says, that's still too many. I want you to take them down to the river, not the river, sorry. I want you to take them down to the water, which was, they were camped by a spring, and, and springs tend to be on a hillside, right? And they run into the valley. So you have to imagine that the spring was maybe on higher ground. So this is where the, uh, the Israelites are camped. And the Midianite army is camped in the valley. 
And so down, maybe we don't know how, it's kind of hard to understand the geography there, but it's possible that the Israelite army was at a higher elevation at the spring than the, Is- the Midianite army in the valley. So he says, take all the soldiers, 10,000 of them, to the water and watch how they drink. And there were two ways that they could have drank from the water. And one way, and, th- and here's where I'm going with this, just to keep you attuned. This is about armor. This is a story about armor. Because as they go down to drink, there are some that bend down and put their face right in the water and they drink directly from the water. And then there's another group that gets down and bends down, they cup the water and they bring it to their mouth. 300 do this and the other 9,700 of them go all the way down. Now, imagine a soldier with armor. If you've got all your armor on, you can't bend down and drink out of the water. But if you've got your armor on and you've got your shield in hand, you've got your spear in your hand, you have to do this. You put your spear down, shields on the arm, you bend down to the water and you bring it to your mouth. And 300 did that. Whereas all the other guys took their armor off and went all the way down into the water. Why those 300? Why those 300? Why is it that the ones who kept their armor on ended up being the the 300 that advanced against the Midianite army? My suggestion, actually through Dr. Hugenberger, my Old Testament professor, said it was because they were the ones that were alert. They were the ones that bent down and knelt down to get the water, but they were looking at the Midianite army in the valley from their perch. They were ready They were alert. They weren't taking their armor off for anything. That's what Paul says. Be alert. Don't take your armor off for anything. Be ready. Be alert. And then be prayerful. Be prayerful. To continue to pray in all situations. You know, a lot of times we think prayer doesn't change things, but I love this quote from Oswald Chambers, he said, it's not true that prayer changes things as that prayer changes me and I change things. If the armor of God has to do with God's character and the attributes of God and my relationship with God, as I pray to God in strength and in power, then God changes me and then what do I do? I go out and I change the world around me. I have to pray because I have to be reminded that this is not under my own strength and power, but under God's strength and power that I work and do battle. If I try and do it under my own strength and my own power, guess what happens? Guess who fails? Matt, you, me, we fail. We had a friend who worked in a bank. Her name was Michelle. And uh, she worked there every day and she was uh, in our Bible study And one night she came to Bible study and she was really upset. She was upset and she had this customer that just laid into her at the bank. A customer came in and wanted to withdraw a large sum of money from his account and he didn't have the proper ID or numbers or something and so she couldn't give him the money. So could you imagine you need a lot of money and the person that won't give it to you, how you treat them? 
And so he actually personally attacked her and, and said some mean things to her and said, what kind of bank is this? And you don't care about your, blah, 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 blah. And she was really upset about it. And she said, all I, she just kept apologizing. She said, I'm sorry, sir, I, I, there's nothing I can do. I'm sorry, you know, can I do this for you? Can I do that for you? How, how else can I help you? And she said, for some reason, I was able to remain calm <laughs> and at peace during this whole exchange. But when she got to Bible study that night, she was really upset. And she said, for some reason, the Holy Spirit enabled me to be firm but friendly <laughs> with this customer. She really attributed to the power of the Spirit at work within her. The rest of the story goes like this, though. She turns out that even as upset as she was, even as she was firm but friendly, even as she felt like the Holy Spirit was giving her peace in the moment and strength in the moment, which is the way it works, the next day, the gentleman came back to the, back to the bank with a bouquet of flowers. And he walked up to her and he gave her the bouquet of flowers and he apologized to her. And he said, you know, I walked out of here today and I realized I was so mean to you and you were so kind to me. She, he said, I don't know why you responded the way you did, but I just want you to know I was hurting. I am broken. My wife just left me. She was trying to take all my money and I was in there to try and salvage what I could from our account. And I took it out on you. I asked, I'm sorry, I apologize. And in that moment, she was able, she, she said, I, she, he's like, I don't know how you kept your cool. And she was able to say, God, help me keep my cool. The God I know gives me peace and strength and can give you peace and strength. <sighs> Prayer changes us <laughs> so that we can change others around us and impact other people around us. That's the battle plan, <laughs> folks. We don't fight each other. We don't divide each other, we speak peace. We let the God, the strength and the spirit and the power of the Lord work through us. We can't do that if we're not connected, if we're not in that place. Let's pray together. God, we come to you today, we realize that we have a, a world around us that seems to be falling apart, seems to be broken, seems to be angry, seems to be fighting each other, and yet, God, you call us to a gospel of peace. You call us to be people of prayer. You call us to be people of faith and righteousness and salvation and the word of God and all these characteristics that you give us in our relationship with you to live in this truth that who Jesus is and the assurance of our salvation. And so, God, we need your strength. We need your power, not just some of the time, not just part of the time, not just when it's hard, but we need you every day. And so we come to you today. We come to this table today, realizing that you have poured out strength and power in your son, Jesus Christ, for us. And so we come to this table, calling upon your strength, calling upon your power in Jesus Christ to forgive sins, to speak peace, to focus on the solutions rather than just the problems of our world. And so, Lord, we invite you and your Holy Spirit to be poured out in us to change us so that we can change the world around us. So, Lord, pour out your Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup that they may truly be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ so that when we leave here today, we can be the body of Christ for this world, speaking peace 
So Lord, come work among us today at this table. And we pray together as you've taught us to pray throughout the centuries, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.